Hey everyone, my name is Chris Johnson and I am the Midtown Campus Pastor here at Crosswalk and I'm just so excited to have all of you here with us today. We are concluding our message series called Nobody But Jesus. And today we're going to be taking a look at the subject of death. And the title for today is Nobody But Jesus Can Rescue Me From Death. You know, there were three friends that were talking about the subject of death when one of the buddies asked the others, hey, what would you like to have said about you at your funeral? Well, his two friends thought about it for a moment and one of them said, well, I would like people to say he was a great man. He loved our community and did a lot of great things for the people of our community. And the other one thought for just a little bit longer and he said, well, I guess I would like people to say he was a great dad and husband and just a great role model. Well, the buddy who asked the question originally, he said, you know what I would like people to say? Look, he's moving. That's because he wouldn't want to be dead. But that really brings up the big question that we have for our consideration today and, and that's this, what happens when we die. What's interesting is that the Pew Research Center, which does a lot of surveys, uh, actually just recently, about six months ago, took a poll of Americans to see what Americans thought about the afterlife. And what's interesting is, let me just share with you some of these statistics. They found out that 73% of Americans believe in heaven. 62% believe in hell. 65% believe that we will be reunited with our loved ones when we die. And 60% believe that we will have perfectly healthy bodies. And then when asked uh, how do people get to heaven, only 39% of people say that it doesn't matter what you believe in. And 32% say that non-believers will not go to heaven, while 27% do not believe in heaven or hell at all. It, what's interesting is to see that there is such a high amount of people, percentage-wise, that believe that there is something after this life that we're going to, but there is definitely a diverse opinion as to what exactly it is, as well as how we get there. Well, we need to understand that this is not a new question. In fact, um, in what we're going to be looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today, we're going to find out that the Apostle Paul actually was reacting to this very question of what happens when someone dies. And in particular, what about the resurrection? Because Paul had spent about a year and a half in Corinth, and Corinth was a city in Greece. It was a, just a metropolis. There was a lot of trade there, a lot of people there. And so Paul spent a long time there getting a chance to talk about Jesus and about the reality of the resurrection. But after Paul left, there was an infiltration of the Corinthian culture into the Christian church in Corinth. Because understand that Corinth was a part of the Greek culture and the Greeks really believed that our bodies, our physical bodies, are actually a prison for the soul. And that if you live a good enough life, then when you die, your soul will be released from the body. So their thought of a bodily resurrection was actually offensive to them. And so this was a, an influence that the Greek culture had on the, the Corinthian church. And so there began to be this question and this debate as to whether or not the resurrection was actually real. And of course, that would directly influence the question of what happens when we die. 
And so Paul answers that. And let's dive in then into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Paul wrote, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Now, what I find striking is that he, he begins this section just simply by saying, I want to remind you. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I need reminders. In fact, on my smartphone, I actually have an app that's a notes app so that when people share things with me, I can just jot down some notes. And then later on, I can remember, oh, that's right. That was what that was all about. I need those reminders. And, and here's the the problem for me. Sometimes I forget to look at the reminders. Well, much like the people of Corinth, we need the reminders of what Jesus has done for us and who he is. And that's the heart of the gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news. And Paul is saying, I want to remind you of the good news about what Jesus has done for you, of who he is and how you can be absolutely certain about what will happen to you when you die. And so here's going to be our first fill-in as we answer this question then of what happens when we die. One of the biggest cultural influences is not necessarily different beliefs about the afterlife, but indifferent beliefs about the afterlife. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that, uh, as you heard before in the Pew Research Center, that there isn't a lot of differing beliefs about the afterlife. 73% uh, of Americans believe that we're going to go to heaven. But it's the indifferent belief. And what I mean by that is that, well, we usually don't think about our death. We don't think about what's going to happen beyond this life unless we have a death in a family or unless we happen to turn on the news and, and see yet another tragedy on the highway or somebody getting shot, then we may be thinking about it. But generally speaking, we live our lives uh, kind of like the culture that preaches to you. You do you. Just, just focus on the here and now. You do you, right? But the reality is that Paul's wanting to remind us that there is a life after this death and that we need to be thinking about it. Don't be indifferent about it but instead be focused on what Jesus has done for you. And that's why he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. And so Paul then states what the gospel is, what that good news is in verse 2. He says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, Paul was essentially telling the Corinthians that if they doubted that Jesus was raised, and if they doubted that anybody else was raised, then they were doubting everything that Jesus had done for them. And that's why he's saying that this is of first importance. What's so interesting about that word translated first is that the Greek word for it literally is where we get our word prototype from. And so what he's saying is, is that Jesus' death and resurrection is the prototype for all of us as followers of Jesus. That it's the first 
that it's, it, that's how it's going to be for us as long as we hold on firmly to what Jesus has done for us by putting our faith in him and in him alone. And so as we get to the next fill-in then, as we answer this question of what happens when we die, the next fill-in says nobody but Jesus can give certainty that we will live when we face death. Now that certainty doesn't come from what we're doing for him, but it comes from what he did for us. And that's why Paul says this is of first importance, that Christ died for your sins. In other words, Jesus made the payment. He made the payment necessary to cancel the debt that we owe because of our sin, because of our denial, because of our doubt, because of all the times we've used our hurtful words to hurt others. Those sins are erased. The penalty has been paid. And that's why Jesus died for our sins. But then he says he's buried and he rose again. And notice he says, according to the scriptures. This is not something that was new. This was prophesied about over and over again in the Old Testament. And so we can have absolute certainty as we hold on firmly to the gospel. Paul says it's going to save you because that's why Jesus came. Now, what's interesting when I think about this is I picture holding on. I picture like what happened to my brother when we were canoeing. We were younger and my brother and his buddy were in a canoe next to us when we got caught in a strong current in the river and their canoe went sideways and hit a branch and flipped. And this was in a raging river. It was a dangerous situation. And so what did my brother do? He held onto that branch for dear life until someone could rescue him. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us, that we hang on firmly. We hold on for dear life because Jesus is the one who promises. He gives us certainty that we will live after we die. And that's all because Jesus did it first. Now, as we take a look then at verse 5, notice that Paul then reminds us that, hey, this isn't some, you know, myth. This is historical fact. It is actual. It is reality that Jesus did die and rise again from the dead. And then he shares with us a bunch of witnesses. Uh, we start with verse 5. He says, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I don't know if you caught it here, but he's listing out over 500 different people who saw Jesus alive. And, and he says here, hey, most of them are still living. So if you have any question as to whether or not this actually happened, go ask them yourself. Now, of course, we're 2,000 years removed from that, so we don't have that. But we do have the opportunities to see what they had to say about it. And it's interesting that, yeah, Jesus appeared to Cephas. Now, that's the Aramaic name for Peter. So think about why Jesus would appear to Peter kind of alone and away from everybody else. Because no doubt Peter was just crushed at not only what happened to Jesus, but those final moments when he denied Jesus three times before Jesus 
was crucified. And that had to just be like a dagger in his heart. And so, of course, Jesus, out of love for him, would go to, to let him know, hey, I'm alive. And this was all along what I had said was going to happen. But then notice, he also lists that Jesus appeared to James. Now, I don't know if you know who this James is. There, there are several James in the Bible, but this James happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. He's the guy who earlier on in the Gospels actually thought Jesus was nuts. And so he and his uh, sisters came to the house where Jesus was preaching and said, hey, Jesus, you know what? You're kind of being an embarrassment to our family right now. Why don't you come on home? And of course, Jesus at that point was like, you know what? My brother and sisters are those who, who listen to me, right? And, and listen and obey the word. But anyway, suffice it to say, Jesus appears to James and that changes everything. James. He became a follower of Jesus and a, a big-time leader in the early Christian church. But then notice that Paul lists himself last. And that's because Paul not only thought that Jesus was a liar, but he also thought that all of Jesus' followers were not only delusional in talking about the resurrection, but he thought that they were dangerous to the true faith. And so what did he do? He went and hunted them down, imprisoned them, and killed them. And that's why Paul is saying, I'm abnormally born. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even to be considered like the other apostles. And yet, Jesus appeared to him. On that day that Paul was headed to Damascus to imprison and murder more disciples of Jesus, he saw the risen Savior face to face. And that changed everything for him. Are you picking up on a theme here? That the, these are, are guys that he appeared to, that they would, if, if this was a fake news story, if this was just a myth, don't you think that they would ma have made themselves sound a little better than they were? But no, they're stating it as real history because this is how it happened. And so let's get to our next fill and then. Nobody but Jesus through his resurrection power changes us to be credible witnesses. You know, think about it. He appeared to Peter. And when he appeared to Peter and, and Peter saw his Savior risen from the dead, that changed him from a coward to a courageous apostle. When Jesus appeared to his half-brother James, that changed him from an embarrassed brother to a courageous ambassador for Jesus. When Jesus appeared to Paul, that changed him from a murderer to a missionary who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write half of the New Testament. Do you see the power that Jesus' resurrection brings to our lives? You know, and, and I can't see you right now, but I know some of you. And I know what has happened in your life and how Jesus has changed your life. And the same is true for me. Jesus' resurrection power has, has the power to do incredible things for us. And we get to be his credible witnesses to continue to share the good news through how we live and how we speak to others as well. Now, there is one thing, however, that can stop that movement, that movement of sharing the good news. And what is it? Living and believing as though Jesus were dead. And that's where Paul goes next. 
we look at verse 12. Paul says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And then we skip to verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now, I just want to camp out on this thought for just a moment. What if the resurrection isn't real? Well, Paul says that there are a number of implications, that if there is no resurrection from the dead, so in other words, when a person dies, their, their body just goes into the ground, soul and body separate, we'll come to that thought in just a moment, and that's it. And there are some people who believe in that. But Paul is saying, hey, there are a number of implications that we need to think through then if we think that there is no resurrection. And the first is this, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead either. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then that means that everything that we preach, everything that we talk about, everything that is recorded in this book is a lie. And therefore, our faith is useless. And he even says the, the why. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile because you are still in your sins. Now, that Greek word for futile literally means empty-handed. So in other words, we're empty-handed with hope. We, we have no hope. We're empty-handed with peace. We, we have no peace of forgiveness because we're still in our sins. We're empty-handed in love because it really means that God's a liar and that there's, there is no love then. Do, do you see the implications of how that would play out in our life? It would just lead us to be uh, continually hopeless then. And, and Paul then continues with yet another implication if Christ has not been raised. We look at verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So in other words, he's saying if, if those who have died in faith in Jesus, that they're lost if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. And then verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. I want to just go back to that poll that the Pew Research Center had for just a moment. When they, they listed that two out of three Americans, and it doesn't matter what your faith background is, the two out of three Americans believe that we will experience a reunion with our loved ones when we die. Now, that is significant. But what Paul is saying is, hey, if there's no resurrection, then you can just throw that out the window. There, there is no hope for you to ever see your loved ones again. And that is an awful thought, isn't it? And so we get to our next fill-in then of answering this question of what happens when we die. By faith in Jesus, we will experience a family reunion that will never end. Death for a believer is a see you later. Now, here's the thing. Um, I've done hundreds of funerals over my ministry. In every single Christian funeral that I've had, I have ended my message the same way. Death for us as a believer is not a final goodbye. It's a see you later. And that is just important to me 
because of not only the, the near and dear ones that I have buried personally, but because I know that that means so much to you as well. As you think about your mom or your dad or your child or your friend who you have buried, because Jesus has risen from the dead, he gives us that hope that by faith in him, we're going to get to experience a family reunion that will never end. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. I love family reunions. In fact, I'm really looking forward to a huge family reunion this summer when my oldest son gets married. It's going to be awesome. But here's the thing. Every family reunion comes to an end here on this side of heaven. But heaven, eternal life, it's going to be never ending. Each day is going to be a new day of adventure and joy and peace. Sign me up because that's what Jesus has made possible through his resurrection from the dead. Now, when will all this happen? Well, Paul goes there. If we jump to verse 51, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we will not all die before judgment day, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So what he's giving us here is a picture of what will take place on Judgment Day. That on Judgment Day, our bodies are going to be changed. And that really brings up the question then, okay, well, what happens between now and then? Like, what happens if I die tonight? What's going to happen to me? What happens when someone dies? Well, God doesn't leave us wondering. It reminds us that death just simply means it's a separation. And so body and soul separate upon death. And in fact, um, King Solomon wrote about this, uh, well, roughly, I would say 900, 950 years before Jesus was even born. And he put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says, the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. And so the dust returns to the ground. It returns to dust, right? And then the spirit, our soul, returns to God. And what happens then? Well, the writer to the Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 9. He says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So what he's saying is, is that when a person dies, body and soul separate, body goes into the ground, soul goes before God and is judged. And depending on our relationship with our Lord, that's going to determine where we spend eternity. By faith in Jesus, in heaven. Without faith in Jesus, hell. That's what the Bible says very clearly. There's only one of two destinies for everyone. But notice that Paul describes in these verses what's going to happen to our bodies. That our bodies, yeah, they'll return to dust. But on judgment day, body and soul will be reunited and our bodies are going to be glorified. You know what that means? No more need for ibuprofen. No more need for wheelchairs or crutches or canes. No more need for doctor's appointments and waiting in the waiting room. No more need for ambulance rides. I mean, just think about that. The whole medical care industry is going to be out of a job in heaven. All right, that's okay. There are going to be plenty of other things for those of you who are in the medical industry to do. 
But just think about that. That's what he promises us, that we will receive glorified bodies. And so let's get to our next fill-in. What happens when we die? Our soul will separate from our body and return to God. Our body will return to dust, but will one day be raised in glory. Now again, just picture what our body is going to be like. It's going to be pretty nice not having to wake up every morning with some new aches and pains. And you know what? Just a side note here. You know you're getting old like me once in a while when you wake up and you've hurt yourself while you're sleeping. Just saying. Okay. Now, that being said, Paul then concludes in this section with yet another implication then of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse 55, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So let's just get to our our final fill-in right away then. What happens when we die? Nobody but Jesus offers life with hope and life with purpose. As we look forward to the day, we will meet him face to face. I just want you to think about that. Nobody but Jesus offers us the kind of hope that he offers us here. That there will be a day when we will get to see our loved ones again. That there will be a day when all of the hurt, all of the hopelessness, all of the frustration, all of the defeat, that there will be a day when we will live in eternal victory. And that victory is already ours. It just hasn't been fully shown to us yet. All because of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection for us. That's how much he loves you. And that's the hope that he gives you. But notice also, he then gives us a tremendous purpose that we get to love on others like Jesus first loved us. That we get to pray for others like Jesus has prayed for us. That we get to care for others and serve others and encourage others. And all these one another verses that we have in the New Testament that remind us of the purpose that we have. We are a part of a much bigger movement. A movement that began when Jesus rose from the dead. He changed people's lives as I've talked about before. He's changed your life and he's changed mine. And we get to be a part of that bigger purpose, the higher purpose of bringing that kind of change for now and forever into the lives of other people. And that's why he says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. We get to serve the king. We get to work for the Lord who took the stinger for us when he went to the cross. In closing, I want to share with you just a a real brief story. There was a father and his daughter who were driving home one day and uh, they had the top down um, and they had the windows rolled open and it was just a a beautiful day, beautiful opportunity for them to just enjoy God's beautiful creation. Well, there was this huge bumblebee that darted into the car and was flying around the, the girl and she was just freaking out and she was like, daddy, save me, save me. And so he pulls over 
and the bumblebee then flies to the front of the car and he traps it in his fist waiting for the inevitable sting. Well, the bee stung him and he let go with a yelp and then it started flying around the car again and this little girl's like, Dad, it's going to sting me. It's going to sting me. And he says, no, it's not. Look at my hand. What do you see? There firmly embedded in his hand was the stinger. And so she was like, oh, okay. You know what Jesus says to you? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. There you see what the sting of death did to me but I took it for you. And now I want you to go out holding firmly to that good news and share it with others. And my friends, that's what we're going to get to talk about starting next week. I want you to come on back because we're going to launch a brand new message series called Life on Mission. See you next week. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much for the good news that because of your life and your death and your resurrection, we don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to wonder what happens when we die. We can live with absolute certainty and confidence. We can live with hope and purpose. We can live with life and love and prayer, knowing, Lord, that because of your victory, we can live in victory and share that with others. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless us with confidence as we trust you, the death conqueror. And we ask all of this in your saving name. Amen. And now receive with believing hearts the blessing of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.